Welcome to Behind the Mirror, a place where students in an online program can have the experience of sitting in a professor's office um, and learning all the little things that you never get from a textbook. Today I have um, somebody who um, it's it's kind of stupid how excited I am to have her on. Um, you're actually my my first non-therapist guest. Woohoo! But I read your blog on the recommendation of a friend, and it blew me away how thoroughly researched it. what you're what you're <laughs> talking about is, um, and how it does tail right into what I think is the heart of therapy. So why don't you go ahead, um, introduce yourself, talk a little bit about your blog, and then we'll get rolling. Well, now I want to know what the heart of therapy is, but uh, hi, my name is Alexis Dubieff, and I am calling in from beautiful Burlington, Vermont, and I am the author of the book, blog, podcast, and Facebook group, Precious Little Sleep. Yeah, so I, um, I stumbled upon you because we just had our first kid. Hey, congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. How and old? He is 10 weeks today, actually. <gasps> oh, a freshie. Yes. He's, yeah, you're, he's so you're in the thick of it. You're in the thick of it. No, we're not. Because of really? you. Because of you. The first 12 weeks so tend well. to be pretty rocky no matter what you do. Like, that's a tough time. I I really do credit you for just saving my sleep life. <laughs> like, oh, like, I'm, not, I'm not even joking. I'm thrilled for you guys. Congratulations. Yeah. From the beginning, we've been new, using all the things that, that you talked about. And um, he's sleeping. He slept through the night once. He gets up maybe once a night. Um... It's a super chill baby goes down easy and yeah so 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 Jordan I don't I don't want to be like a super big bummer I will just put out there that many an easy newborn changes later so oh my I god little happy little chill dude stays just the way he is but if he doesn't that's okay that's totally okay but, See, this uh, is what I need to hear. I need the the reality. before you know before you start. Just you know, I'm always leery. Like, don't put it out in the universe that he's like super easy and chill because that's just asking for problems. Oh my <laughs> like, gosh. just don't put it out there. Just be like, yeah, we're doing okay. You know, we're doing just okay. We're doing yeah. okay. Yeah. <laughs> right, I actually think that that's very very wise because I don't want people coming at me with like pitchforks. Yeah, if, you, no, if you tell no, them that, that you're sleeping, people will want to, like, like murder you. <laughs> like, people... listen, no, no, no. L- listen, I'm not superstitious. All I know is that so many people have told me that, like, I bragged about how great ba- my baby was sleeping, and then it all blew up. And I'm like, yeah, so maybe we should just not brag about it. It's like, it's like just keep it secret. Just don't talk about it. Keep I don't know. That's, just, that's sleep superstition. It's a superstition. So, okay. anyway, and also probably not helpful to your students. So, what do you want to talk about? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, first, can I? I would love to just learn. How did you get into like babies, children, and sleep? How did that even happen? Yeah, no, it's because I had one, and it was a real problem. <laughs> and uh, I am a researcher at heart, and I, you know, my background. I have a, an MBA, a master's in finance. Um, previous to Vermont, I was a senior product manager at Apple. I'd worked in software my entire career. I do not have a background in pediatrics, sleep, uh, child development, therapy, none of that. That is not my background. And my now 11-year-old was born, and we know we read all the books, and we took all the classes, and we thought we were ready. And he basically screamed, cried, and nursed. Like, those are the three things we did. He screamed, cried, and we nursed, and that was all we did. And it was terrible. And none of the advice we had gotten in the books was helping, and we were totally lost. And people were like, well, you know, babies are tough. And we were like, really? really this tough? Like, really? You know, and my husband was um, going through the tenure process and I was supposed to be handling the baby and I was a big mess. It was a big mess. So I just started researching and researching and I was like, why is this so hard? And why aren't the answers available? And why am I, you know, struggling? And I'm a, you know, smart person and I did all the right things and this isn't happening the way it's supposed to happen. And one thing led to another and I just started blogging as a hobby, like just to sort of you know, stay-at-home mom boredom stuff, and the ball kind of rolled from there. I never expected anybody to listen to me or pay attention to what I had to say, and amazingly, they did. And then with an audience came opportunities, and that's what led to the book that came out a year ago that's been uh, beyond my wildest expectations in terms of success. An audiobook is coming out, um, well, probably this week, I don't know, in a week or two soon. And um, by Gwyneth Paltrow, maybe? I narrated it. I don't know. <laughs> that's yeah, just as good. I don't know if that was a good idea. I worked with a local sound engineer who was like, you have a lot of weird vocal things. I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, 
yeah, apparently I sound a lot younger than I am because of my vocal fry. And uh, uh, vocal fry. First, so, okay. So for for, yeah, for people like, so who don't know what that is, I think they'll, they'll oh. they they need to know. Oh, vocal, vocal fry, fry is, is like the little. Uh, it's usually associated with like people in their twenties. It's kind of a generational thing. Yeah. So like Kim. Kardashian goes, I'm so tired. It's that, that low. Yeah. Um, so I have that and a slight lisp. And again, I'm, I'm 47. <laughs> so uh, anyway, so a lot of opportunities um, sort of spiraled from just my own struggles and trying to share it because I was frustrated with how hard it was and how the resources that I had weren't really nailing the problems and it really is because a lot of the books and again wonderful books by wonderful people are you know 30 years old and we've learned a lot uh, you know in the past three decades that um, you know isn't always reflected in an easily digestible format and tired parents don't have time to kind of suss through all of these uh, books and ideas and uh, concepts and, and boil it down into practical what do I do now kind of advice so that's sort of where I've been trying to always keep it to like what can you do about whatever is going on. Yeah. I think I think that you're right. I think something else that's really um, lacking is I think that you do a good job of separating out the techniques from culture. Mm. Right? Like I have a friend who read a lot of books and one of the things she said was I kept reading things about like sleep schedules and how mm. you need to like feed and then play and then sleep instead of oh, yeah. and, and it's like all that stuff is, is cultural. Mm-hmm. What you really nailed down is these are the things that help kids to soothe. These are the things that help kids to to calm down so that they can sleep. And once you have that down, you can apply them any different way you want to. But we well, need to know, first know how, like, what are the the mechanics of this thing. So, so sleep schedules are an interesting concept because, you know, people like predictability, right? We don't like to not know what to expect. We like to be given clear kind of give me a rule book and I will follow the rule book and that's what I will do. And that's a lot simpler. And especially, you know, and you know now that you're going through it, just after giving birth, you are never more vulnerable than in that moment. You are physically wrecked, emotionally wrecked. It's like the best and worst time of your entire life all in one ball. And, you know, they hand you this little creature and they send you home and say, oh, now the most precious thing in the world is your full responsibility. Good luck. Go go home. Good luck with everything. And you're like, what? So it's a hard time. And you're like trying to do all the right things. And you don't want to make a mistake. And you're trying to you know, feed this child and keep them safe and change diapers and, you know, avoid problems. We don't want diaper rash. We don't want jaundice. We, you know, all these things are happening. So it's a tough time. And so it's not a time where a lot of critical thinking happens, right? So you want, just give me marching orders. I'll just do five things. Boom, boom, boom. Tell me what to do. So I understand the appeal and why that is so appealing. The problem with schedules is that it, that's not how biology works because schedules assume that all infants can sleep the same amount of time and be awake the same amount of time. And what we know from science is that there is a wide range of sleep needs. So the average newborn can sleep anywhere from 12 to 17 hours in a 24-hour period, right? So if you try to put a 12-hour-a-day a sleeping kid on the same schedule as the 17-hour-a-day sleeping kid, it's going to fail miserably. So all of the schedules sort of assume that there's a fairly narrow band of sleep that we're all kind of marching in and that most children can kind of shoehorn into this little schedule, but that's simply not true. So what would happen is all of these parents are trying to use the schedule because we're all desperate and sleep-deprived and just want marching orders, and, you know, half are failing. They're just failing out because their kid either can't be awake that long, won't sleep that long, and it's a big mess. Now, eventually, you kind of sort out, oh, this isn't working, and we get just. But that's like a painful process. And again, not at a time when you're really doing your best critical thinking and problem solving. So, so I'm trying to say, listen, let's look at what the reality is, which is we have to figure out what works for your child. Here are some tools you can use, and here's how you know it's working or not working, and adjust accordingly, which is not as appealing as schedules, but is right. more based in reality. Yeah. I mean, I think that's, that is true. Right, because it's it's not as um, it's not as clear, and I think people want a sense of certainty. Of course, they want a marching orders. I yeah. I do too. I totally wish I could do that, but it's and not. I think one of the really beautiful things about your work is you're so positive, and you want people to just use what works for them. Yeah, and I think that that resonates with people because there is so much. Um, you know, I think. I'm I'm experiencing this a little bit, but I think it's more prevalent for women of feeling like people are looking at them and mm. judging them 
whether oh, it's yeah. you know the women at your work or the women in your circle or church or you know step stepmom in laws whoever. And so there's that pressure, and so I think that your voice is also so liberating, so freeing in that. Of look, Aww, as long as you it. are getting some rest and doing what what your kid needs, you're doing a good job. That's that yeah. is a needed message, you know. No, and it's exhausting. The parental judgment is exhausting, and it's it's insidious, right? And you're you're probably seeing this because you now have your new newborn who is probably old enough now that you're you know taking them to summer barbecues and church and, you know, bumping into coworkers and, um, and even well-intended questions are really kind of judgy barbs, right? Like, oh, how are they sleeping is both a concerned question and also a little bit of a, how are you, how are you doing with this parenting thing? Are you doing a good job with the parenting? Or are you feeling miserably? You know, like there's a little bit of that in there. And a lot of the questions, even if aren't, they aren't intended that way, can feel that way because we're so vulnerable. So when somebody's like, you know, oh, hey, your baby's so tiny. You're like, what, what do you mean? Like too small? Am I not feeding them enough? What are you, what are you saying? And again, that's just like because you're in this vulnerable place, it's easy to feel those, those questions as, as critiques, even if they're just kind of meant casually. So yeah. it's a tough time. Listen, <laughs> the first year with a baby is a tough time and it's, it's a great time, but it's, you know, it's, it's a process. You kind of get through it. So um, for students, can you kind of summarize what your blog, which, which, what you would say are the main points of what you're trying to get people to realize, what you want people to know? So I, again, I, I have a very heavy research mindset where I, I started, so when I wrote this book, it took forever. And part of the reason it took forever was I had to reconsider a lot of my working assumptions and realize, wait, that's just something someone told me that I've kind of stuck in my brain. And is that true? And what do we really know about that? And so it took me down a whole lot of rat holes where I was like, I don't know. So what I try to do is say, there are certain things we know. Let's take constraints of what we know. These are the normative ranges for sleep needs based on age. These are probably pretty good guidelines. If your child is falling outside of these, that's probably a symptom that there's a problem, right? We also know that, you know, a lot, there are other things that we can say we know that the idea that your child has to wait to eat four or five times a night past the first few months is false, right? We can, there is evidence. We know this is no longer true that culturally that we've been kind of been told this is normal, but evidence is no, you don't have to do that. Sure. Kids will, if that's an option, but it doesn't have to be an option. So I try to look at what are things that we know and let's form some constraints, some common basis of understanding based on things that we can say, all right, these are things we know based on the evidence. It's not my opinion, not your opinion. These are things we know based on these things that we now can all agree as facts. What are options? What do you want to do? What works for you? What doesn't work for you? What's bringing you peace and joy and what's stressing you out? And let's change those things. Um, and really that kind of is what I do when I work with families, what I do in my Facebook group. Like, it's just trying to say like, let's look for options. So I don't have a paradigm where I'm like, you must do it this way. Um, one of the most infamous baby sleep books is baby wise. And I am not a fan of baby wise and it is very programmatic. It's sleep schedule. This do this. You're in charge. Baby's not in charge. Da, 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 da. Don't feed them unless it's been three hours. And I'm like, if it's been two hours and your baby seems hungry, Offer them some food. They're babies. You know, that's fine. So I don't like to have a big program. I like to have options that are reasonable and safe and make sense and say, okay, what works for you? What works for you? Does this go, this doesn't work for you? Great. Okay. Then let's take that off the table and move on down the line, you know, um, based on, again, certain things that we can take given. So let's put that out there. These things are a gift. Your child may sleep 12 hours a day. Some may sleep 16 hours a day. Let's figure out where your kid does most successful sleep right? You know, 15 hours of good sleep is better than 16 hours where they're waking up hourly, right? So let's figure out what's working and, you know, move forward from there. I guess that's not really a concrete answer for your students. <laughs> but, I mean, but it really is. It's everything I try to do is let's come up with some things that we can say we know for sure and then figure out how can we plug in families and make them successful based on these truths. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which to me is my approach to that's something that I've come to have as my approach to life and to therapy. Because there are a lot of things um, that are fads. I mean, there's a new mm. fad almost every week. But if yeah, you yeah, actually yeah. go through the research, there's always a handful of things that we know for sure that most mm -hmm. of the time people aren't doing. 
So let's yeah. just stick to those. And 90% of the time, that will take you 90% of the way. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> and so. And especially with parenting, like there isn't like a one size fits all approach, you know, and there are a lot of people telling you this is the one right way. Like the one right way is to, you know, uh, co-sleep baby wear, nurse till five and feed all like homegrown organic baby food. Okay. That's may work for some people. That's not my cup of tea. There are other people who are like, put your child on a schedule, make sure your baby know who's in boss, blah, 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 blah. Again, not my cup of tea, but so, you know. But if that works for you and you're successful with it, great. More power to you. Go out there and get it done, you know? So I also wanted to ask, why did you decide to write a book? I mean, I think I think you're in a really awesome niche where um, you're blogging about these things. And I, have, and I have been so impressed recently with the quality of blogs that I've seen. I've seen certain blogs on money, blogs mm. on sex, and blogs on, on, on you know, children – that I'm like, these are not only um, highly, these are, these are written by highly intelligent people, not by, you know, some dude on his computer at 3 in the morning. These are highly intelligent people writing information that is bite-sized and mm-hmm. extremely actionable and clear. Mm. So, so why even switch over to the book where you don't have um, that kind of direct feedback, right? Because when you're blogging, you have direct feedback. You know exactly what people want. Well, I, many reasons, and this gets into bigger, like sort of my personal life goals and and kind of things that happen. So, uh, I, truthfully, the reason I thought about writing a book was a few years ago, a book agent reached out to me, like a, a pretty impressive book agent, was like, "Hey, I want to represent you," and I was like, "What? Me write a book?" And literally, it had not crossed my mind until that phone call came in, and I was like, "Holy crap! She thinks I could write a book!" Like. And so that took me down a whole process of like, well, what would that look like? And how do you write a book? I've never written a book. How does somebody write a book? Like, what, what is that? What does that mean? And so I started looking into it. And I've always sort of struggled with this idea that I believe in paying it forward. I believe that, you know, it feels good to me to help people and to know that I'm in some small way making people's lives better. That's a good feeling for me. But I also have been a stay-at-home mom now for 11 years. And I'm like, okay this is a great hobby, but it costs me thousands of dollars a year. Like I was spending all this money on hosting and security. I mean, when you get millions of people on your website a year, all of a sudden now you're like at the top level of hosting and I'm the most expensive MailChimp, you know, package and like all of these, you know, so it would literally cost like $10,000 out of pocket. And I was like, I have a master's in business and I am really failing here. Like this is not how you maintain a sustainable business because it wasn't it was just a hobby that kind of exploded and then I was like oh this is a problem now and um and I also was looking at my kids and thinking oh I'm going to go back to work but the truth is as they get older my husband has a really intense job he travels a lot he's a department chair so for me to like also work 60 hours a week it was like how how is that's not going to be a good blend for our family so how can I be more flexible work from home but also stay true to my core beliefs which is you know, being honest, being transparent, not, I don't want to sell sponsored ads and sponsored, I I can't tell you how many requests I get for sponsored posts. And I'm like, I'm not going to write about your, you know, special baby detergent. And I just, that's just not who I am. But those are, you know, the ways that most blogs monetize are things I'm not comfortable with um, or good at, frankly, like advertising, you know, random baby stuff is not something I'm good at doing in any authentic way. Like I'm, I'm like, Hey, uh, here's some, uh, you know, mattress you can buy. Mm, Like, (laughs) that's just not my thing. So anyway, so writing a book did a couple of things. First of all, it really forced me to do a much more comprehensive piece of research and put everything together in a way that like a 1000 word blog post doesn't. Secondly, it, because my name was on it, I knew it was going to go out and live in the universe for potentially forever. It had to be something I really felt comfortable and proud about, which is why it took me forever because I was terrified it would suck. Um, third, I really speaking candidly, it helped me get over my imposter syndrome because I was like, who am I? I, I'm just some mom in Vermont. Like I have a degree in finance. Like I have no qualifications and babies. So going through the process and the research and putting that together really helped me personally get over my imposter syndrome, which has been really freeing. And you don't realize how much that was like holding me tethered down until I kind of pushed through and was like, I did it. Yay, I'm free. Um, 
so yeah and then and then you know I do offer consultations to families and I'm not pushy about it I'm like here's tons of free information I'm not trying to you know squeeze a dime out of everybody but um, you know it's helped me pivot from an expensive hobby that was costing me a lot of money to a great small home-based business that enables me to be flexible for my kids so I'm really grateful at how the book has really transformed things for me it's awesome and I think that your vision behind that, right, the heart behind that is just something that resonates with me as well. Um, you know, it's, it's not easy to, like, help people and also, like, support your family and blend those two things is a challenge. So As, as therapists, it's something that we know very well. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure, therapy right? It <laughs> does not pay as well as you would think it would pay for as much schooling right. as you go through. Golly. Oh, my gosh. Um, so it sounds like a lot of this... A lot of how it started was by chance. Absolutely. Yeah. And then I've just, I've, I'm also willing to accept risk and I'm willing to try things out. Um, a couple of years ago, I started a Facebook group on a whim. No plan. I have an MBA. I've written business plans. I've gotten venture capital funding on business plans I have written. But yeah, I was just like, I'm going to put up a Facebook group. I thought like 300 people would join and it would be no big deal. And then that became a whole thing. And now there's like 45,000 people and like 16 admins around the globe. And really, I think a lot of my book success has been driven from that group. And that group is totally based on peer support and paying it forward and taking what you know and helping the next guy along who's coming down the pike who doesn't know what you know. And it renews my faith in humanity. It is an enormous amount of time. Moderating a group that large is a huge time suck. And many of the admins and I, and I'm super grateful for their help, had to work through the process of learning what are the boundaries of what we will accept in this group and what we won't. And sometimes that means tone policing and word policing and kicking people out. And it's been a process of how do we create a culture among 45,000 strangers so that we can all talk about parenting in a safe way. And we're all tired and sleep deprived and people are edgy and not always their best selves. How do we keep this a healthy, thriving place? And that sounds silly, but believe me, that was a massive multi-year process of how to create, establish and maintain a culture with clear sort of norms and rules without being like a total jerk about it. So at each step in the way, I've been willing to kind of say, well, let's... What's the worst thing to try um, and learn from what's not working and make changes and go? And I think that, you know, as students who are going to go out and, and presumably get into some sort of business or, you know, work with a group, I think that's a really key life skill is, you know, what's the worst that's going to happen? How, how will I know if it's working? What am I willing to put in to test it out? Six months, three months, 10 how hours a week? It's working? Yeah. How will, if I try something out, how will I know if it's working? How did you apply that to your, your work now? Well, it is tricky. So one of the things I struggle with is, like, for example, when I work with a family, I have a hard time setting boundaries because I want to see them be successful. And if that takes three months and 400 emails, I'm like, well, that's what it takes because I want you to be successful. So I've had to learn to establish firm boundaries about, like, this has to be a finite thing. I cannot just be, you know, 400 emails in six months. And it sounds like I'm exaggerating, but that has something I've definitely done that for sure. I've done that. But at the same time, I want to know that you've hit your goals, that we've gotten to where you feel like things are a little less chaotic, you're not up hourly, you're not delirious and hallucinating from sleep deprivation. So I've had to find a balance where I'm like, we're going to come up with a plan. And in two weeks, I need to hear from you as to how, just to check in, how are things going? So that we can make sure that we're tracking to some goals. So so in terms of like my work with my, my families, like that's kind of what I've done. I had to cut out the 400 emails, but also have some kind of like, we need to make sure we're tracking. Cause I don't want to just say, Hey, go off and do this and go off and do your thing. And I never hear from you again. And who knows if it worked or not? Cause that wasn't working for me. Cause I needed to know, did this, am I helping you or am I just spinning wheels and you know, who knows? So I had to have a feedback loop to make sure that what we said we wanted to accomplish worked. And if it didn't, we can, you know, tweak, adjust, revisit why it didn't, you know, the Facebook group, I guess I knew it was working because uh, of the great feedback from people, people posting all the time, like, this has been a lifesaver. I can't thank you enough. This group is everything. This is my safe space on the internet. Um, and th- that has been how I know it was working. Um, you know, the blog, uh, I guess traffic would be the metric of how I know it's working. I mean, honestly, the traffic ebbs and flows, so it's hard to really know, but um, 
generally speaking, has been positive uptrend. So I don't know. I think those are the things I look at to know that I'm being successful. And then also, like, is this working for me? Because there's been times where I've been spending tons of hours, spending all my money, and that feeling of goodness, like, oh, I'm helping people, that feels good, wasn't enough to counterbalance the strengths and resentment. So that's uh, how is this working for me is another kind of success metric because when you're feeling resentful and pissed, uh, you know, the warm fuzzies don't balance out. <laughs> so that's also been a process of finding where where is a limit where I feel like I'm helping people and I give put a lot out in the universe for free so that, you know, hey, here are options, but also like I'm not feeling completely burdened by it. Absolutely. Um, at what point did you decide to open up the Facebook group? That was, I want to say November, we might be coming up on our three-year anniversary, maybe, if I'm correct, about three years. Um, and again, I didn't think it would be a big thing. Um, so, like many things I've done, I didn't think it was a big thing. So when I first talked about, started talking about sleep training, I was terrified because that is a taboo topic in parenting. Sleep training is considered like, you know, in many places, uh, it is considered like, absolutely not. We don't allow discussion of this at all, which is, in my view, absurd. But that is the reality in certain parenting cultures. So it was very scary for me to be very open about it. And I basically came from the point where I'm like, there's ample evidence that this is safe and effective and that continuing on these other paths leads to bad outcomes. Um, people are exhausted for years and miserable and depressed and, you know, all of the health issues that go along with chronic unabated sleep deprivation. So, you know, that was a big turning point for me where I was like, I'm going to take this scary step and talk about this taboo topic because we have to talk about it. Like this is something that might be necessary for certain families. We can't even talk about it. That's crazy. So that was like a big turning point. Um, and again, I don't always have a plan. I'm just like, well, I hope this works out. And the Facebook group was another thing that I thought would be like a really no big deal. And it's become a huge deal. Um, I've made personal friends with people all across the globe in the Facebook group. And these are friends, many of not many, but some of whom I've met in person and more of them I hope to meet in person. And um, it grew from 300 to 45,000 in three years. And that's uh, represents more people than 45,000 because we lose about a, one to 2,000 a month because, you know, people's kids grow up and they leave and then more come in. So it's that probably represents, I don't know, can I, 100, can I jump in people? for a second? Sure. And ask you a question. You, you said that number 300 a few times. Was that how many followers you had on the blog at that point? Or where does that number? <laughs> no, no. I just thought, like, oh, I don't know. In my head, I thought, oh, a couple hundred people will join. It'll be this really small, no big deal kind of a thing. And then within like three months, there was 10,000 people in there. I was like, oh, this is a problem. Now I've made a job for myself. And then I just started. <laughs> tapping people who would give good advice and be like, um, can you be an admin and help me out here? And then like we had to start talking privately about, wait, how are we going to manage this? Because this is going to go south. And, you know, because people would come in and yell at other parents and people were arguing. And it was like, wait, no, no, that's no, no, that's not what we're going to do here. We're not going to scream at each other or humiliate each other or whatever. So it was a process of kind of iterative learning and really it was in collaboration with the other admins where we kind of found our groove of this is what's okay. This is what's, you know, it's okay to disagree, but you know, any kind of shaming, judging, yelling, you're a bad mom, anything that smells like you're a bad parent is out. Like just no discussion, no warning, you're gone. That's just not what we're going to do. So it's okay to say, you know, Hey, this is how we approach that problem. Maybe you want to consider that, but it's not okay to say, how could you? Don't you love your child? Like that was like, uh, you know, so, but these are things, Jordan, you're new to parenting. I I swear to you, you will bump into this in parenting circles. Like this is something that happened well, commonly. I, mean, I feel happened. like you have the, the perfect cocktail because not only do you have, an, you have a, a highly charged topic, you have a highly charged topic on the internet. You know, which yeah, is yeah, right yeah. for just trolls anyway. And so there you put those are, into a, there a, a are group Facebook and it's just going groups. to... There are Facebook baby groups where my name is forbidden to be spoken. I am literally Voldemort, and if you mention me or Precious Little Sleep, they will throw you out without warning. Can I, and okay, I was do you get excited about that, that though? Because I feel what? like I feel like if you if you're having an impact, someone's going to hate you. I know, but I'm saying as a human being, I was like when that when that first came to my notice, I was like, what? 
Wait, what? <laughs> So, you know, I'm just saying that there are multiple points where you just experiment and iteratively grow and try things. And it's and if you get really, really lucky, you can find a group of people who will help it make it work with you because no one is successful on the Internet by themselves. That is just not happening. Um, no one's successful by themselves? Nobody is successful on the Internet by themselves. So when you see these people who are like a, a big name, you know, they're kind of like an Internet celebrity they are not doing that by themselves. It takes a village. And I found my village and I'm super grateful because the, the you know, possibly, I don't know, 100,000 people that we've helped in the Facebook group, that would never have happened if it was just me. That would not, it would not exist today. You, um, you keep bringing up something that I've heard again and again and again. And I was actually hoping that you wouldn't say it. <laughs> but, oh, but, no. But it's that the path to success is all about following opportunity. Because you never know when something, what's going what's gonna to be the next opportunity. Uh, you know, I'm a risk taker in general. And my, my decision process often just involves worst case scenario analysis. Like, what is the worst case that could happen? And can I live with it? You know, like, is is my family going to be homeless? Am we going to not be able to feed our children? Okay, that's, I'm not going to do that. That's too much. But is it going to be embarrassing? Okay, I can probably handle that. And the book was the biggest scary thing for me because that's, if that failed and people hated it and it was terrible, that's a really public failure, right? And that's far more public than anything I'd ever done in terms of if this goes south, it's a really humiliating public thing to go south. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I do believe that if, uh, if you're going to make things happen, you have to be willing to take risks and experiment and accept that they won't always be great outcomes. And, um, you know, uh, I, I've been luckier and been successful more times than not, but not always. And that's, you know... Um, uh, and I think especially, you know, and, and I, I don't know much about therapy, but I also know that there's a lot of people now who do work on the internet, who, uh, Facebook groups, uh, around therapists and people who are sort of working on similar things together. And I think that's great because we're looking for connection and we're looking for support. And if technology enables that, that's great. And so I'm sure a lot of your students are going to be experimenting with things that may not have been traditionally part of their work you know paradigm but that's how it's going to be in the future yeah. i think um the other side of that is if you're going to be a therapist and you actually want to um, help people and make a living what you have to do is you have to become your own brand because mm -hmm. when people go bit. to therapy they don't go because the name on the door says i don't know counseling counseling center they go because they know that jordan harris is there they they've heard about you Ryan friends, is there. You said, they know that alexis is there said jordan shaped yeah. my marriage you gotta call i mean that's true although i will say like in vermont there's not enough therapists so people will go see you just because you say you know joe blow therapy on the door because there aren't enough therapists to go around and most have waiting lists <laughs> but um yeah, I think it, it, that's probably not the case everywhere. So it depends on where you are. But, you know, definitely having a, a reputation and um, and having something that makes you kind of your own unique, I hate the term brand, but some, what it makes you unique. What's your unique angle and what's your approach yeah. um, so is do you, key. I mean, do you, do you have any thoughts on building a platform or, or how you did that? So that's like building a platform is like the phrase, right? Everyone's like, you got to build a platform. And um, again, mine was accidental. So <laughs> I'm probably not the best. So I when, think you, when you began blogging, did you get a paid uh, blog and do like SEO? Or did you just go with like a WordPress account? And yeah, I just, I just was like, Meh. you know, I mean, listen, I had a background in marketing. So it wasn't like I had no ideas. So I, you know, I, I, um, my, but like here, here's an example, right? Things that fail. So I didn't think anyone was gonna ever read anything I was writing. I was like, it was just something to do like when the kids napped because I was not a natural stay-at-home mom. Like it was not natural for me to be sitting at home with a screaming infant all day. So I wanted some outlet that worked within my tiny nap schedule. So um, the site used to be called Troublesome Tots because that was like, 
I put five minutes of thought into it and was like, eh, sure, it's kind of cute, you know, alliteration. And of course, people hated the name because I was saying their babies were bad, right? My whole brand name was Bad Babies, right? Like badbabies.com. And one day I, I finally asked on my Facebook page, I was like, hey, if you guys were my, I literally just asked random strangers on the internet, hey, if you were my business consultant, uh, yeah, what, what do you think I should do? And like 500 people were like, change the name. It's terrible. And I was like, okay, good feedback. All right. Um, so yeah, no, I, I didn't have a real vision. But here's what I would say about making a platform, which can happen anywhere, right? Like blogs are frankly not the way people consume a lot of content these days. Um, podcasts, YouTube, you know, Instagram, far bigger, depending on your audience, right? Like like I'm on Facebook. Moms are on Facebook, but, you know, it's different audiences, different places. I think the key is to make sure you're always thinking about why would someone care about this, right? There's a lot of blogs that are kind of navel gazy. Let me tell you about my life or let me tell you about my journey or I'm traveling through Greece. Let me show my pictures, which are great and fun. But if you want other people to pay attention to you, you have to be creating information, content, images, audio, video, whatever, that is solving a problem for them. Now, that problem could be boredom. You could be an entertainer. It could be educational. It could be, you know, like you said, you found blogs on finances and, you know, but it has to be interesting and relevant and solve a problem for whoever is consuming it and not just kind of be about you. So, um, and it's tough, right? Because we all want to kind of be navel-gazy and talk about, like, the epiphany you had or the great moment you had with your kids or, like, something, you know, because we want to share those things. But those are not – and I have those, too, by the way. I mean, I've done those those kind of pieces of content, too, but nobody cares. <laughs> so, um, My son laughed for the first time the other day. Right? But no one cares. <laughs> well, I mean, like, maybe, like, your parents, you know, and your co- immediate coworkers. But, like, yeah, like – and and honestly, people might care because babies are awesome. And so sometimes you can kind of, you know, be like, oh, here's a little video. It was like his first laugh. It's so great. But just in general, I kind of look at things I'm doing and I'm like, nobody cares what I'm up to. I struggle with Instagram. My friends are like, your Instagram, you should do something on Instagram and it should be like the behind the scenes. And I'm like, I don't do anything cool behind the scenes. I'm sitting here. I talk to people from all over the world, which is great. I love hearing about the experiences and parenting from different cultures and countries. And I love that. But I just sit here at my desk. It's not exciting. I walk the dog. I'm a runner. I go for a run. I take a shower. Like, that's what's nobody cares what I'm up to. And they're like, get on Instagram. Show the behind the scenes. And I'm like... Uh, you know, I, I shared a picture of me like throwing ball with the dog and I was like, seriously, like no one cares about me, but they do care about, you know, things that are going to help them successfully travel with an infant and get them to sleep in the hotel that they care about. So, yeah, yeah, yeah I yeah. think the stuff you're saying right now does kind of like bump against what I've heard from other bloggers that have been successful because a lot of them will tell you. You kind of just have to go for quantity when you're trying to get started. Uh, you have to put out a lot, a lot, a lot. And it sounds like what I'm hearing from you is you have a lot higher standard for yourself. Yeah, so I would actually take issue. I would I would not follow that advice. Um, and, in fact, a lot of successful bloggers would suggest that you spend 20% of your time creating content and 80% of your time marketing it. And I have subscribed to that as well because consider the fact that people are inundated with content, right? Inundated. I mean, every morning I log in and I've got a hundred emails, right? Clamoring for my attention, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Like I have so many pieces of content to consume. I, I consume a very tiny percentage of it. And so people don't need more content. And so, yes, I've always kind of said, well, yeah. And sometimes I do like a throwaway piece that I'm like, nah. But um, I've always felt like it's better to have put more time into cornerstone pieces of content and really support and promote them. And And by the way, like. So my whole life was this book for the past couple of years. So my blog has suffered. Like, I've definitely neglected it a bit. So, um, you know, full disclosure, it's kind of a little dusty. And it's something I need to fix. But the number one drivers of traffic for me are still long-form cornerstone pieces of content that I produced four years ago. And that's definitely been how I've been successful. And even, like, long-form on Facebook. Like, if I do a Facebook Live, 
that's a hugely popular, successful thing. And I can promote that and get, you know, a thousand people to come in at two o'clock on a Thursday and listen to what I have to say about anything, whatever, um, you know, rather than five posts a day of, you know, little jokes and memes and stuff like that. So I, like, I even struggle to find really good quality stuff to share on Facebook and probably only post three times a week because, you know, and it's like, as an example, cause Facebook's sort of my, my platform that I'm most comfortable with. They have so much content to put in people's feed that only a very small percentage of what you have subscribed to in terms of friends, pages, whatever you do you actually ever see. So I'm like, yeah, if I'm going to really focus on stuff that I think is really meaningful and impactful and then promote the hell out of that rather than doing like five posts a day and using like the schedulers and just posting up, you know, memes and quotes and da, 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 da. so um, I know people who are successful that way. I just think that it to me, it, it is contrary to what we know about how much content is out there vying for attention. Mm. It sounds like you have a really, a really thought out um, promoting strategy. Oh, I wish I did. Oh, Jordan. I don't want to talk about what I'm bad at. Can we go back to talking about what I'm good at? I so I I ended up self-publishing for a variety of reasons that are not probably interesting to your listeners. But um, uh, as a result, I had to find my own, you know, cover artists, interior designer, editors, you know, illustrators, blah, blah, blah. So So it was a lot of work. And I had to write it, and that was a whole thing. And then, because I used Kickstarter to fund it, I then had to get out all my Kickstarter backer gifts. And one of the things I had promised was handwritten thank you letters. Big mistake <laughs> with a handwritten thank you letter. So last summer, I hand wrote almost 800 thank you letters. So instead of promoting my book or focusing on any kind of marketing launch whatsoever, I was handwriting thank you letters and then I had to mail out you know like 850 copies of the book our local post office would only allow me to bring in 10 at a time oh my god otherwise I would clog up the line so my marketing launch was nothing <laughs> because of that so there was no big book launchy thing because I was writing handwritten thank you letters and taking books in packs of 10 to the post office um so that was my summer last year. There was no marketing. I have really, really neglected marketing, which is why I'm so grateful for the people who have, through word of mouth, filled that void for me because, really, I am super grateful <laughs> because what I have about, not done enough. What about on Facebook? Yeah, I don't run any Facebook ads. I have it on my to-do list. Um, <laughs> I have an audiobook coming out, and I'm like, okay, this time I'm going to actually market it. I'm really going to market it this time and not just do nothing like last time. Um, yeah. Uh, in fact, I'm like, I really should be like submitting articles to like the Washington Post or Huffington Post, and I haven't done any of that. So I, I, I have a business degree. I have run marketing groups before. I understand how important marketing is, and yet I've failed completely at it completely now i would argue that the facebook group has been filling that void and that making a really successful community of support and and humor and questions and i'm very active there it's not like i just created it and then walked away i think that has really saved my butt in terms of marketing because that word of mouth community has again filled the void that my terrible marketing and non-existent planning has left yeah hmm no, that's really good. That's really in good. theory, if I were smart, what I would be doing would be Facebook ads. Well, I do some minimal advertising on Amazon. Facebook ads would be my number one Google display ads and uh, submitting articles to, you know, high profile, you know, websites. That would be my three things to do that I'm not doing. Yeah. Um. Man, I got so many thoughts in my head at this moment. Again, I don't know that any. Is it going to be useful to your students? Are you going to have to like? No, you're I never going to put this out. You're going to be like, "Hey, students, none of this applies to you." Um, I think I really do think all of this applies. Study for your finals. <laughs> I, re I really think all of this applies. I mean, and obviously, where where you are, I think the culture is a little bit different. I do know that in most of the states that I practice in and where my friends practice in. Um, you, if you want to make money, 
because because right now right now the name of the game is insurance, and insurance okay. does not does not pay well. Just, yeah, yeah, just yeah. For 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 the amount of work you have to put in to get reimbursed, it does not pay well. So you need to have a client base you that's have, not entirely insurance. You need people right. who are paying out of pocket. You need people paying out of pocket, and I think the other side of that is because insurance changes so quickly. Mm. Having a niche that you can consult in, yeah, is hands down what you is is hands down a good idea. Yeah, and yeah. So yeah, if yeah. someone wanted to say, hey, look, you know, I you know have read Precious Little Sleep. I'm all about this, and I want to do a class on you know what we know about sleep cycles and um and the five S's. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like they have to know how to market that. They have to know how to how to how to promote that. How to get people to buy into that. Well, um, and, and or have a niche resources like, like like yours, or, or have a niche that's like you know maybe like family therapy for um for new families, you know, with because having kids changes everything, yeah. right? It's, it has a huge impact. Like I think I think small cracks that in any normal relationship become big cracks. And I know uh, my husband's always been a big intense athlete and an intense you know work guy, right? Which was fine before we had kids, but as soon as we had kids, I was like, nope. <laughs> and that was our big, you know, transformation, right? Because babies change everything, and then your relationship and your dynamic has to change with it. I think that's a great niche for somebody who's in therapy because it's one of those things that you think is going to be fine until all of a sudden you're like, wow, this is was fine before we had kids, not fine now. We need to grow and change and adapt and find a new path forward um, given our new circumstances. So I definitely am a big fan of having kind of niches. And I know that, um, you know, I'm, I'm pro therapy. I'm like, you know, and I'm postpartum depression is constantly coming up, constantly coming up in the group. And the big thing about postpartum depression is what lack of sleep. Well, so that's one argument. That is one of the the biggest issue I have with that. Joe Jordan is a lot of people are like, I don't need therapy. I'm going to solve my sleep problems and all of my sad feelings will go away or anxiety. Anxiety is, you know, depression's shitty cousin. I don't need to go to get therapy. I don't need medication. I'm going to get sleep, better sleep, and then it'll all go away. And then they postpone getting help. And in most places, getting help takes months. Like you got to like talk to your OB and get a referral. And now it's six weeks to get your first appointment. And like now you're just starting the process. So I'm always like, okay, maybe sleep will fix it. And in some cases it does, but in some cases it doesn't. And now you've just pushed out the goalpost of when I can get help for this and how many more months am I going to be feeling gray every moment of the day. Um, So I'm very passionate about (laughs) people not suffering through postpartum depression and, and anxiety. And, and so many people want to believe that it will go away on its own. If I just do X that I get nervous. I'm like, no, maybe, maybe not. Let's start to line up some resources because it may not go that way. Uh, and even when a baby sleeps better, it's not great. Like, like a newborn who sleeps from eight until four is doing amazing, but four to six might be rocky and they might be starting the day at six. So if you go to bed at 11, best case scenario, you get a solid four or five hours before things start to fall apart. And that might be what success looks like for many, many months. Yeah. Um, well, so good sleep is not awesome sleep. I, I absolutely agree with you. And I think part of that might be like poor expectations, right? I mean, one of the things that we know is marital satisfaction plummets mm. after you have your first newborn kid. And the biggest, huh. the biggest um, indicator of how well the marriage is going to do long term is, yeah. is how involved, and this is in heterosexual couples, dad is involved with the kid right yeah, yeah. so you do have to reorient of like these are new expectations and but, but it's a massive roles. transformation oh absolutely and so, how, how did you spend your weekends you know 14 weeks ago what was like an average weekend <laughs> well first of all i get up whenever i'd want to which yeah, doesn't right? happen anymore. <laughs> like, hey, and then i just like, binge watch you know doa yeah. for eight hours <laughs> which hasn't happened and you know 10 weeks. God, I missed that. Big no, I mean, it's, it's massive. And you're still at the very beginning. And, yeah. you know, it's kind of like it's still new and fresh. But, you know, yeah, everything, you know, um, and I don't want to throw my husband under the bus. He is amazing and I adore him. But, like, he was a downhill racer, downhill skier, racer for the whole time I've ever known him. Like, that was his passion. He was a coach. He was a racer. He was, you know, internationally ranked, like, big deal racer. 
the baby shows up screaming, nursing, miserable. Everybody's there. Everything is terrible. And like, I don't know, two months after I gave birth, he's like, all right, well, I'm going to I'm going to be racing this weekend. And I was like, you're going to what? I'm sorry, what? And and it wasn't because he was a jerk. It was because he hadn't quite clicked in that everything that we used to do for me, it was soccer. I used to play competitive soccer. And now I was like, I'm never playing soccer again. I'm attached to this baby. I can't get out of the house. Like, so it's a huge transition. And all of a sudden you were resenting each other because I'm like, what do you mean you thought you were going to ski? And you were like, he's like, well, I didn't think I could never leave the house again. Like, like. Yeah, it is a huge transition. And I think some people aren't, I don't want to say aren't ready, but you're not prepped for it. There's right. no way for you to really mentally grasp how much of a change it is until you until make the change. You I, I was like, yeah, I get it. The baby's going to come. Yeah, it's going to be different, yada, yada. And then I was like, oh. No, everything's oh. different now. <laughs> yeah. So it's a big deal. And, well, I, think, and I, I think the other part of that is, is that. I think that's a great niche. I don't think there's enough people helping parents to that transition, yeah. helping their marriage regroup. And also dealing with the maybe it's sleep sleep deprivation, but most kids are not going to sleep solidly without any parental intervention until six a.m. for a long time. So if you're depressed and anxious for six, nine, twelve months, that's a long time to be depressed and anxious. Yeah. So so plug to all your students out there. That's a great niche, and there's not nearly enough resources, not by a half. So if you want to build a brand, that's not a bad brand to pick. What else would you say to somebody who's starting out and building a platform? Uh, I, so things that, that I, if I had to go back in time, things that I would have done differently is don't pick a shitty name. Buy your own domain. Do not, none of this WordPress.bobs, you know, .com, none of that. Buy your own domain and set up your own email at your domain. So it's your name at your domain.com. So not like bob at gmail.com. So that's just basic housekeeping and I think you want to own your name everywhere you know Twitter Instagram Facebook like everywhere get that name own it right out the get-go and even if you don't ever use it you know buy buy the dot org and the dot net like just just own it own your name and if you need help get help like I had to hire a copywriter to help me come up with precious little sleep because I was like everyone tells me troublesome tot sucks I agree time for a change now what so it's okay the other thing is having some keywords so it should be unambiguous to a casual passerby what who you are and what you're about. Like, should be unambiguous. So, you know, don't be cute and clever. Just say what you do and, and what, why anyone should care. Um, so so that, that would be just like baseline, just getting out the gate. And honestly, look, when I started, you could have a sloppy blog. You could have a, you know like amateurish stuff and it could look like MySpace. nobody cared now there's just too many websites there's too many facebook there's just too much so if you're not going to get it together and make it look professional if that requires spending money maybe it does i certainly hire experts because i need help with all kinds of stuff um you know you you can't kind of half ass it i mean I, i struggle and i know you understand this like i thought i wanted to get into podcasting and then it was like well how much money am i going to spend trying to get good quality sound am i going to put sound baffling up all over my office am i going to buy like a thousand dollar microphone clearly i didn't because jordan can see my microphone on skype here um and trying to find a balance of how much money am i going to invest and what am i going to put my money into um and you know everybody has their own limits you know i canva is an invaluable tool and i have the premium version that i think is 19 bucks a month because for me 19 bucks a month is a totally reasonable price to pay to get quality looking graphics there are people who would do sound editing on my podcast and make it sound good, but that's $300 a month and that's more as a bridge too far. So I have crappy sounding podcasts. So, you know, everybody finds their balance of what they'll invest in, but it's got to look tight and professional because people will judge you within seconds. And if they come to your site and it's a, I also would suggest getting a decent headshot, you know, especially if you're going to be a therapist, I want to know what you look like, what your vibe is, right? Like, are you like, you know, the the hippy dippy lady with the, you know, like herbs all over her office. Are you the science guy with the science books and the cardigan? Like, what's your vibe? Like, I want to know what your general thing is so I can sense, is this a good fit for me or maybe just not quite my cup of tea? Yeah. Um, awesome. You know? Yeah. Very, 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 very good know, advice. 
you do, but think about it. It's like your online resume. So if I didn't know you and I just passed by because somebody sent a link, would it be clear to me, unambiguously clear to me that I should call, pick up my phone and schedule an appointment with you right. or see about your availability and what problems you're going to solve, you know? Um, so my youngest is, is dealing with some anxiety issues. And so he, we're working with a therapist and I've definitely checked out <laughs> her picture and I was frankly put off. She was very, she's very young, right? She, I was like, she's too young. She doesn't know what she's doing. She's amazing. And I was wrong and should not have judged her from her picture. But she even made a joke about it. She said, you know what? Kids like me because I look like a college counselor. And I was like, you know, you do. And you're right. That is a good thing, right? (laughs) Like kids don't want the old guy with the tweed coat. They want like somebody who's like cool and young and pretty. And, um, but I, you know, I totally checked her out ahead of time. Like I wanted to know, you know, and her specialties lined up with what we were dealing with. And I was like, well, that's really good. And, you know, gave her a chance and she's amazing and I'm super grateful, but, um, you know, they're going to check you out. They want to see what you're doing. You know, so investing 300 bucks into a quality headshot is probably worthwhile and, and be who you are. You know, like I make jokes. I'm going to make jokes. I swear a little bit. I try not to swear too badly, but that's who I am. Like I can't write like a sleep expert. I'm not the sleep expert who's going to be like, today we're going to talk about the importance of a good bedtime routine. Like that's not who I am. And I say boobs and I talk about, you know, like... I don't know, things that I care about. I talk about things about the lack, shameful lack of parental leave in our country. I talk about things that I care about in an honest and human way. And that's who I am. And that's my vibe. And I put that out there. And that vibe does not work for all people. There are people who feel like infants are precious and my cavalier attitude doesn't reflect how precious they are. And I, that makes me sad because I, I love a baby. I totally get it. I'm not everybody's cup of tea and you have to be willing to not be everybody's cup of tea. You have to be willing to say, maybe I'm not a good fit for you. And that's okay. Yeah. Good luck finding somebody who's you're a good fit. So that when you put yourself out there, you have to be authentic and be like, this is who I am. This is my thing. And, um, you know, and I don't mean to put down like the hippie lady with the herbs everywhere. Cause that's what some people are looking for. That's what for. some people are looking for. But you have yeah. to also know what your, what your niche is. But I know this because when we were looking for help for my son, like, you know, we're trying to find some, we ended up getting referrals for our pediatrician, which was super great. And I'm really grateful, but we were looking around like, where could we find somebody who could help us? And, you know, some of the therapists' websites were a little weird. And I was like, hard no, hard no on that. We're not going to call that person. Um, and it's really hard, right? Like the sound engineer who helped me with my audiobook is amazing. I adore him. He is like top of the line. His website, I actually found him and didn't call. And then, uh, 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 you know, an NP- I have a connection at NPR, uh, National Public Radio, and I asked for a local resource, and they connected me, and it worked out great. And I told him, I said, straight up, buddy, I saw your website and didn't call you. So, And you're awesome. Like, your website should be like, I'm awesome, and it does not. And you got to put your picture out there. You didn't have a picture. It was like this old – he's working on an essay, but uh, – <laughs> You know, I almost missed out on this awesome person who was so great and had all of the technical skills and all of the setup that I needed. Totally would have missed out on it. So, you know, so be authentic, be transparent and put it out there and let people self-select if they're a good fit or not. So if you're the hippie herb lady, be like, yeah, I'm the hippie herb lady. That's me. Call me for that's what you're looking for. You want to talk about Mother Earth kind of stuff? Great. You know? And if students wanted to follow up with this on their own, right, they wanted to look into marketing or building their platform, what what three resources would you say? Oh, my gosh. There's a ton. Um, let me look at my bookmark file. Um, so uh, uh, the, the website name might be off-putting, but I cannot say enough. Um, I love smartpassiveincome.com. Now, it's a terrible name because it seems like it's all about passive income. No, it's a marketing blog, and it's fantastic. In fact, the, the Smart Passive Income blog has a huge um, resource on how to start podcasting, and it was basically what I used to put my whole thing together. So the website sounds like it's not a good marketing resource. It's actually a fantastic marketing resource. Um, I also am a big fan of Copy Blogger, which is a classic, um, kind of classic marketing um, blog. What else do I look at routinely? Sorry, I'm pulling up my bookmarks to see, like... Uh, because I've been very much focused on book marketing lately, so that's a very much more specific that is not relevant to your 
readers probably. And because again, I'm very much internet focused. I do a lot of things on Facebook. Like I'm instead of kind of general marketing, I'm very much focused on digital. So like, I don't look into like, I honestly wouldn't even, I would encourage your students to ignore any print marketing whatsoever. Like do not buy no, yeah, no yellow pages, no newspapers, no magazines. I mean, if you get an article in there for free, great, but I would not pay one penny to be in print for advertising. Um, so wow. yeah, my focus is it just completely dead. Wait, I blow your mind. <laughs> You know, li- listen, I think you know that most print is dead in terms of advertising, right? Like, oh, like, well, yeah. who, unless your demographic is like 60 and up, you know, nobody's looking in telephone books or uh, newspapers, <laughs> right? So if that is your audience, like if that's your niche, great, but otherwise forget about it. Um, the other thing is uh, there's no there's no accountability. There's no way to know if anyone saw it. Eye tracking studies say we're really good at not looking at ads. We are exceptionally good at not looking at ads. So... The nice thing that I really like about AdWords, Google, um, Amazon advertising, and Facebook is you only pay if it's effective. If it's ineffective, it sucks and you wasted your time, but you know, and now you can fix it. If you put an ad in the newspaper and nobody sees it or the ad copy sucks or the image doesn't render well, that's just done and you, it's, it's, all, it's all gone. So yeah, I, don't, I, don't, I wouldn't waste any money in print advertising um, and I certainly wouldn't do any direct mail. Absolutely not. Uh, I know it can work, well, and no. some people are very effective with it, but I would, I wouldn't do it. Yeah. I think I'm uh, surprised about the the magazine part, though. But no. I mean, I, I guess you're right. I mean, again, if you get an article, if you can submit an article, or somebody wants to interview, great, of course, take the opportunity. But if I'm if somebody wants me to pay to be in a magazine, hard no, because somebody has to read a magazine. See the ad, which again, all of the eye tracking studies say we are exceptionally good at not looking at ads. We are like masters of it. They have to see the ad, which we know they're not going to do, remember what it says, and then go from one medium, which is the magazine, to another, which is some digital device, and now look me up. Nobody's going to do that. Nobody's going to do that. No one's going to do that. Um, so learning how to write copy is great. Copy bloggers are a great res- resource. There's a lot of fantastic books out there. I'm not great at it, but I, I'm, you know, at least mindful that I need to be better and I work at it. Like I read books. And I'm like, okay, let's try to be better at communicating. It's all about just effective communicating. Um, and for me, it's all about digital marketing. So it's all about, you know, advertising on Pinterest, Facebook. How do you do that? What are good ads? How do you get that emotional connection through a, an image on Facebook? Yeah. Um and I'm so sorry. All of them, all, like I'm looking at my recent history. It's all books. It's all book specific. I used to be more general marketing, and now it's all I've really focused on book specific. Do you, Do you have new books that you would recommend students to read? I feel like books are a little bit slower, but well, I, yeah, I'm a book reader. Um, yes. Hold on, I'm going to grab my little list here. So I, I actually spoke to this person, so I'm biased. Uh, but this um, book, Mastering Amazon Ads by Brian Meeks, has been actually really um, compelling to me. And I know your your readers or your listeners won't be advertising on Amazon, but consider that Amazon is the largest store in the planet, uh, and they sell just about everything. In fact, they're branching out into services, like finding contractors and resources locally. So probably by the time a lot of the students in your class are kind of branching out on their own, there may need to be advertising on Amazon. Um, I have a whole bunch of books on my Kindle that I've read, but I don't have them handy to get the names off the top of my head. But I've definitely, you know, any of the bestsellers on copywriting or marketing or even like writing a simple marketing plan. And again, I failed at that miserably, but it is very important to do. And I got lucky. So I lucked out into into kind of success. Most people can't count on that. I shouldn't be counting on that. So having a more directed approach, and I'm a big fan of experiment and adjust and look at what can you afford to spend. And if it fails miserably, it fails miserably. Um, I funded my book as a Kickstarter, right? It costs money to put together my Kickstarter. And if you don't make your funding goal, you get nothing. So, you know, I invested like $600. Now that's not nothing to me. That's not like, I can't just roll off with that, but it also wasn't like, we can't make the mortgage payment if this doesn't work out. It was just painful. And I was like, okay, I'm going to invest this money. And if it doesn't work out, it sucks, but it's, not like it well it sucked a lot but it wouldn't you know again can I feed my kids are we gonna lose our home no okay so you know I did it and that was an amount of money I couldn't afford to invest and if it didn't work out then that money was gone and 
I would be kind of bummed and embarrassed. So, you know, look at investing some money and going, what can I do? And you can run Facebook ads for, you know, you, as little as $10. You're not going to get a whole lot of response for that. But, you know, can you spend 20 30 40 $50 and see what happens? Yeah. Yeah. So good. Yeah. And, and I like that you can do things inexpensively and not make a huge commitment. And, you know, especially not when you think about like, well, or I could sponsor a conference for $1,000. That's a huge commitment that may not lead to anything. I'm much more of a fan of you know, small amounts of money. Give it a try. See what happens. You know, and yeah. in a job. Yeah. Um, and it, it, most people, if you build a platform, let's say it's a blog, no one's going to read it. So you're going to have to have a marketing plan to get people to pay attention to this beautifully created, you know, professional headshot little thing that you've built. Um, so assume that no one will notice. You will be the tree in the woods that fails over and no one heard it. Like, the, so how are you going to market it? You know, where are your where is your target audience? And um, you know, again, Google Ads and Facebook are my go-to. There are people who advertise on Twitter. That's not my cup of tea um or instagram again not my cup of tea but you know you're gonna have to put money in to be to get attention yeah the, there are days of free attention on the internet just because you know you have a cool concept or you wrote a sassy blog post like those are over that doesn't happen anymore very rarely great well look this has been so so. Yeah, good. no. I'm, again, I'm sorry. I feel like it's been it. a little rambly because I was thought I wasn't sure if we were talking about like parenting or are we talking about like how to grow a business. Um, I I probably have more thoughts on how to grow a business, <laughs> but um, uh, it's it's always rambly on here. I, I have a, I'm a no. of opinions. That's for sure. When it comes to how to grow a business, I got all kinds of opinions. Do what I say, not what I do. But. Um, <laughs> Yeah. I mean, you know, get out there and give it a try and just, you know, put yourself out there and be honest about who you are and what you're about. Because better better somebody come to you knowing who you are than coming to you not knowing who you are and then being like bummed out because they wanted the hippie herb lady and they got you, right? Like that, that, that doesn't help anybody. Nope, not at all. Well, look, um, yeah, this has been incredible. I hope well, Jordan, to- good with your baby yes thank you so much and hopefully you know for the next three months he'll be as calm as he was for the past two months if, if he's falling asleep on his own you have crossed over the big hurdle if you're rocking him to sleep enjoy it while it lasts <laughs> <laughs> that's the biggie that is the biggie no independent definitely... sleep is the crucial step that we all must navigate one point or another so yeah no he's he is um great and, and i mean that was one. That was one of our goals from the beginning because of what I was reading. On and again, blog. not to be a bummer, that often changes. Like you know, people think they got it. I was yeah. working with this wonderful Portuguese woman, and she's like, "We did it!" And then like one lady's like, "He wouldn't go to bed, and I had to nurse him." And I was like, "Okay." And now that's the thing. Like uh, it literally yeah. takes one day, and then you're. Like, and I'm not judging anybody. That's what happens. It's yeah. it's like one step forward, two steps back. It's like okay, okay, okay. And then you just, you know, you regroup and, and, and get back on. So it's, uh, so I hope your chill little dude, look, there are chill little babies who turn into chill little six month olds and chill little toddlers. And hopefully he's one of them, Yeah. but congratulations and good luck with Thank everything. Thank you so much. Thanks. Come join, come join our Facebook group and, and then we'll, uh, we'll make sure you have the support you need. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. All right. I'll talk to you later. All right. Good luck to you guys.